When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, November 14th. Slight change to our schedule. No guest on today's show. Nevertheless, on today's podcast, I still want to offer my preliminary thoughts on the 2023 ATP Tour Finals. Day three of the event, now officially in the books. It featured a thriller as Yannick Sinner earns his first career victory over Novak Djokovic. He does it in the most impressive of fashion, 7-6 in the deciding set. Of course, on today's show, I want to offer my thoughts on that match. But more broadly, I want to discuss the stakes of this year's Tour Finals. For whom does this event matter the most? We had eight. We'll now have nine participants at this year's Tour Finals. As Stefano Tsitsipas announced today, he unfortunately will have have to withdraw from the event due to injury. Hoopy Hercots will be taking his place. And for what it's worth in terms of the value of Hoopy Hercots as an alternate, keep in mind how strongly he ended his season. Not just the Shanghai Masters champion, but was so good during the North American hardcore stretch, was so good throughout the course of Asia and the indoor European events. It's going to be fun to watch Hoopy get a shot at the top dogs, even if it's only four one match. Nevertheless, again, he, Stefano Tsitsipas, their cases, what's at stake for each of them, I suppose. We'll meld that case together, but I want to go through all the guys. I want to talk about what's at stake, for whom does this matter, for whom is this event less important, what should be we be looking for, excuse me, from each of these players. That is the agenda for today's podcast, of course. I do want to point all of you listeners to a couple of great shot podcasts we've released over the last few days. Obviously, every Monday, we've got Damian Kust breaking down all of the ATP Challenger action, but we've had a couple of deciding points as well. We finally got to recapping ITA Fall Nationals, the ceremonial ending and one of the three major individual events on the uh, college tennis calendar, excuse me, one of the three biggest events in the ceremonial ending to the fall. Of course, on the horizon will be the release of our preseason top 10, heading into what promises to be an excellent 2024 dual match season. Worth noting, right now there are 14 top 100 men's singles players, 39 top 100 men's doubles players. On the women's side, you've got six top 100 singles players, and I believe 15 top 100 women's doubles players players. 
Life is good in the college tennis ranks. It's producing top-level pros week in, week out, year in, year out. We talked about, by the way, some of the results produced over the past two weeks by players with college tennis ties on the various levels of the pro circuits on the Great Shot podcast as well. That was with Archit Suresh. So a lot of good content of late here at Cracked Rackets. I'm playing catch-up for lost time due to illness. Tomorrow, we will have David Kane on this podcast breaking down all things WTA Tour Finals. I will also come back for a second show to talk about the day's ATP Tour Finals action. So again, we're locked and loaded, not just this week, but I've got a long list of podcasts I'm looking forward to tackling this offseason. We hope all of you listeners will join us for the ride as we try to make your life a little bit easier with those six weeks between the end of one season, the start of another. That said, again, today's focus here on the mini break going to be the ATP Tour Finals. And the reason we're able to do that is because of the support we get from all of you and, of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. All right, let's talk 2023 ATP Tour Finals. And just quick reminder for those of you who maybe are a little bit less familiar with how these Tour Finals work. Yes, I talked about that race to the Tour Finals all year long. The players go throughout the season accumulating points at the various event. A semifinal at a Grand Slam worth more than a semifinal at a 1,000-level event, which is worth more than a 500-level event, which is worth more than a 250-level event. Of course, it is ascending in scale the higher level of the event, the higher level of points offered. The players that accumulate the eight most points throughout the course of a season, they qualify for these tour finals. And not only the potential for a $400,000 bonus for every win they accumulate, but even more than that, as the event progresses, again, this field of eight divided into two round-robin groups of four. These four players each face one another. The two players with the best records in each group, they advance to a semifinal stage. One, uh, the top seeds of each group play the second seeds from the other group from their semifinals, finals. That's how these two are finals work. Again, for those that may have missed it, the eight men who qualified for this year's ATP Tour Finals. Novak Djokovic, makes sense, won three majors, world number one, played 11 total events, 12 to secure that spot. He's the best player in the world, and it will take a lot in 2024 for someone to relieve him of that title. He's in the field, the man who won the fourth major on the calendar, of course, a man who defeated Djokovic in a fifth set at Wimbledon, Carlos Alcaraz, his major success, master success. The season speaks for itself. He was flirting with a 90% win percentage all season long. Don't think we have to explain his case much further. I think we don't have to do it for Daniil Medvedev either. U.S. Open finalist, clearly one of the three best players in the world. No, four best players. You have to include Sinner on that list. And believe me, I got a lot of Yannick Sinner ahead on today's show. But Medvedev, I think his case is pretty straightforward. Ditto for Sinner, won a 1,000-level event, won a 500 in Beijing, won all sorts of things. Semifinals, that slams as well. Yannick Sinner was clearly one of the four best players in the world. I don't think there's any doubt he belongs at this year's event, uh, certainly beating Medvedev twice down the season's home stretch, an exclamation point, feather in the cap in solidifying his case. Outside of that, 
Again, the last four, certainly a little bit more interesting. Andre Rublev came in at the number five spot. He won his first 1,000-level title this year. Really didn't take or took one bad loss at the majors, but outside of that, a couple of quarterfinals on his resume. In a year that was plagued by inconsistency outside of those top four, I do think it is fair to say Rublev was the most consistent of the best of the rest, even if he didn't have the slam final to his name, the way a Casper Ruud did, um, certainly the way a Stefano Tsitsipas did, who's the sixth man to make the field. And there's your headline. He made a slam final this year. That gets you a heck of a lot of points, was good enough everywhere else, even if he did fade, certainly down the back half of the season injuries, certainly also playing a role in that. But he was sixth. Zverev was seven. There's no doubt one of the headline stories of the year was the return to form of Alex Zverev off of his ankle injury. He's just back to the level he was at. Has to be on the short list uh, heading into every uh, tournament of players who can go out and win the damn thing. And maybe you still believe there's a chasm between him and that top four of Sinner, Alcaraz, Djokovic, Medvedev. Maybe you even think he's not the name who should be fifth on the list right now, but Beats Alcaraz day one. We'll talk about it again. A guy who we'll just talk about him as we look at the stakes for him. And then last but certainly not least, sneaking in is Hogaruna. Hogaruna was one of the five best players in the world through the first half of the season. Multiple finals at the Masters events on clay. Very good Roland Garros. Pretty much held seat in Australia. He was this good through the first half of the season. Obviously, the train came off the tracks to end the year, but last few events level-wise has started playing much better. Obviously, has played two really fun three-setters against Djokovic of late. I'm very happy Holger sneaks into this field because certainly there's the most intrigued with him versus the rest of this crop, more so than, with all due respect, to Hercots, a Fritz, even a Kasparud, who we've just seen play these guys more than we have Holger at this stage. And again, where Holger's in and his growth trajectory, you made the final eight, my friend. How is that anything but a winning season? We can get more into that as we break down each of these players But again, that's the field. Those are the stakes. And with that in mind, let's get into who this event matters most to, who it matters least to. I want to get through all of the cases. Let's start with the quick ones. Who uh, who does this event not matter to? With all due respect to Novak Djokovic fans who will be the first to tell you Novak is going to take this match seriously. This matters to us in terms of him. You know, any opportunity for Novak and in particular Novak's fans to tell the rest of the universe he is still unequivocally the best player in the world. He is still unequivocally beating the best of the rest. You know, we know he values that opportunity. Three slams titles this year. The fourth he made a final was defeated in five sets. He goes to Paris, multiple three-set victories on his way to the title there. But you can't tell me this event matters to Novak Djokovic in the most broad sense of the meaning. Of course, in the moment, I'm not saying he's tanking matches. I'm not saying he is not going to go 1,000% in trying to win this event as he does in every single event that he plays. But, you know, again, look at the numbers for Novak Djokovic. Look at what he's already accomplished in this 2023 season. Novak now following this loss to Yannick Sinner, and we'll talk about this match in the Sinner portion of things, but he's now 52-6 and six overall in the year. 
He's won over 90% of his matches. That's, again, coming into the event, second best win percentage of his career now. With this loss, he'll be flirting with third best win percentage of his career. Oh, no, a guy who has the most majors of any man in the open era and in men's tennis history. And, again, at 36 years old, has a 90% win percentage, a pantheon-level event, six titles in the 11 events he has played coming into this week. It doesn't matter. We're not learning anything new about Novak Djokovic this week. Yes, it's fascinating to see him match up with a Yannick Sinner. And to see Yannick win that match, you learn a lot about Yannick and what he can continue to do to manufacture this level of success. But in the broadest sense, if Novak Djokovic loses this event, you're not hitting the panic button. You're not worried about his chances heading into Australia. Yes, you may elevate the chances of others, but... It's Novak Djokovic at the Australian Open. Barring him being deported from the country once again, that's what it takes for him to not win that event. You're like, How many times has Novak Djokovic won the tour finals in his career? I'm glad you guys asked because I've pulled up the statistics in the uh, thought that you might. Six tour final titles already for him. The latest coming last season. He won it four straight years, 2012 to 2015. Two other finals in the tour finals in his career as well. He's already secured year-end number one. And that's the big thing. He's already secured year-end number one. If that hadn't been the case, then maybe this matters to him a little bit more. But the job is already done. Yes, Novak Djokovic, one and one now, following his 7-6 and a third loss to Yannick Sinner. But... You're not hitting the panic button in the slightest if you're Novak Djokovic coming out of Turin no matter what happens. And you're not celebrating too much no matter what happens. It's always nice for him to win a seventh tour finals. But again, stakes fairly low for the year-end world number one. The other guy I would say this event matters least to is going to be the year-end number two. And that, of course, is Carlos Alcaraz. Now, yes, I'm aware Alcaraz lost his first match, three sets to Sasha Zverev. It was fascinating to see Carlos Alcaraz's lack of willingness to test Alex Zverev's backhand. Carlos Alcaraz's inside-out forehand, just it went away. He was too afraid that Zverev was going to comp- uh, take that compromised position and beat him with a down-the-line backhand or, you know, again— Zverev was having so much success finding the backhand corner that Alcaraz wasn't quite confident enough to get around that ball and, again, continue to dictate from that forehand corner. Now, there are moments of brilliance, as there always are, from a Carlos Alcaraz who really didn't play his best in this match. You look for Alcaraz down an early break in set number one to get that set break back. Hits a remarkable forehand on the run, lob passing shot in the uh in the course of doing so, takes that opening set 7-6. You know, Alcaraz is going to scrap. He's never out of a match. You never question his effort. Again, it shows Sasha Zverev on the right day uh, can beat anyone, and Zverev's ability to dictate with his serve, particularly on an indoor hard court, ends the game with uh, three aces, I believe. Uh, excuse me, closes out set number two with a three-ace game. And, you know, again, Zverev is so successful, so sound on that backhand wing. Obviously, the backhand pass he hits up 6-5 in the third, the full on the stretch, backhand down the line around Alcaraz pass for 15-all. That's the headliner. He hits that once a match. So uh, you can't call that the shot of the year because if you watch enough Zverev, you literally see that once a match. But the the fact that his backhand injected such doubt in Carlos Alcaraz's game that Alcaraz didn't want to play with forehands from that backhand corner because he just 
was afraid it wasn't going to do anything for him matching up against the Zverev backhand. That Zverev's forehand held up as well as it did against the pressure of the Alcaraz forehand. It was a really good win for Zverev. And again, we'll get to his case why this matters for him so significantly in a moment. I want to run through quickly here the cases that don't matter quickly, obviously being a questionable word. Do you care that Carlos Alcaraz lost that match? Does it diminish what Alcaraz at age 21, 63 and 11 this year? Okay, he's not going to win 90% of his matches at age 21. He's 63 and 11. He won 85% of them. He's one of three guys to rank top 10 in both hold and break percentage. He's one of two guys, him and Djokovic, with more than 10 top 10 wins this year. He's one of two guys alongside of Djokovic to have won a freaking slam this season. He was world number one earlier this year. Carlos Alcaraz has already checked off every checkbox that you could ask for. And has he won a tour finals event yet? No. He's 21 years old. He got plenty of time to get there. Do you want to see him go 0-3? You don't want to see anyone go 0-3. Does it change my thoughts on his season if it goes 0-3? Absolutely not. I think it would be a prisoner of the moment take to do so as such again. Alcaraz, A-plus already this season. The question for Carlos Alcaraz right now isn't, can I win the two or finals? It's, can I get to 10 slams before I turn 25? Because 21 right now, he's going to play... A slam and a half. French Open starts before he turns 22. But if he can get one, you know, again, he's at what? Two right now. If he can get two at age 22. If he can get two at age 23. If he can get two at age 24. Now he's at eight. You know, prime of his career, 25 to 30. Can he sneak in two uh, two a year during that stretch? If he does, now he's flirting with 20. And again, I joke around, not eliminated from the greatest of all time race. That's how good Carlos Alcaraz has been. It's not that he's the greatest of all time. It's that 99.99999% of players are eliminated from that race by the time they're 22 years old. That Alcaraz hasn't is a testament to what he's accomplished already. And again, he's got the big picture on his mind. That's why I bring up all of these things as a joke. One tour finals does not change my perspective on the year he has had. So, again, I do think this is uh, an insignificant event in the biggest picture for Carlos Alcaraz. Last one this matters least for quickly, obviously for Stefano Tsitsipas. Like he was injured coming in. Did not end the year soundly after winning Los Cabos. Kind of disappeared after that. Disappointing in Canada, losing to uh, Monfi. Disappointing Cincy, losing to Hercots. It was a second round U.S. Open to Stricker. Second round to Umber in Shanghai. Semifinals Antwerp, semifinal Vienna, semifinal Paris was enough for him to steady the ship heading into an Australian Open where, look, he's the reigning finalist. That's a lot of points, but he's always been pretty successful in Australia. A couple of semifinals are further for him under his belt in his career. He's won this event in the past. He's injured. Get healthy. That's what matters for Pass. So incomplete grade is he's not going to finish the event. I'm very excited that Hubie gets at least one match, and it's a fascinating match as well as he's going to take on Novak Djokovic. He could prevent Djokovic from reaching the semifinals, which is a crazy thing to say, but an indoor hardcourt with how well he's serving, he could do the damn thing. I'm very excited to see that repetition. It's only one rep, so again, at best, he would get an incomplete grade. Those are the three players, Djokovic, Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, slash Hercats. I would say this event matters least to. There are five remaining guys who I think this event matters for. And let's start with the obvious one, the case, the 
you know, coup de grace. By the way, I'm not going to grade any of these players' performances thus far in the event, but it is impossible to say this event matters to anyone more than this event matters to 22-year-old Yannick Sinner. Because this is the event that buys you into, hey, why can't he go win the Australian Open? And a lot of people, myself included, may already feel that way, that it's when, not if, Yannick Sinner in his career goes about winning a Grand Slam title. But just listen to what Yannick Sinner has done since losing to Zverev in what was a disappointing, certainly by his standard, five-set loss in the fourth round. Wins Beijing, beats Dimitrov, who was a top 10 player down the home stretch, Alcaraz, Medvedev back to back. Plays Shanghai the next week, probably not the best decision from a schedule standpoint, loses to Shelton in three sets. Goes to Vienna, wins that, beats Tiafo, beats Rublev, beats Medvedev three matches consecutively, now beats Tsitsipas and Djokovic to start things off in turn. A by the way, straight set win over Tsitsipas, where he didn't face a break point. 7-6 in the third over Novak Djokovic, his first career win over the world number one. Let me just list who he's beaten since the end of the U.S. Open. Just the highlights. Medvedev twice, Elkaraz once, Tsitsipas once, Dimitrov once, Rublev once, and now Djokovic once. That's six wins over guys who have been six of the ten, uh, six wins over five of the ten best players in the world down the season's home stretch. And why do I bring that number up? Five wins over six of the best in, uh, uh, excuse me, six wins over five of the best in the world. Because again, only two men have ten top ten victories this year. Novak Djokovic, and excuse me, not Carlos Alcaraz, but Daniil Medvedev. Alcaraz, 9-4, and four, he can get to double digits with just one win at these two or finals. So we'll say three operatively. After that, Dimitrov has seven, and Yannick Sinner has seven. Sinner now has eight and nine, by the way, with these wins over Tsitsipas and Djokovic. So he can get to double digits as well. Keep in mind, the biggest question in Yannick Sinner's career over the past two and a half years. Hasn't been how he does against players worse than him. He's dominated players ranked outside the top 20 over the last three years. You look at the records, 2021, he's 39 and 14. Last year, 43 and six. This year again, 43 and six. How's he been against players in the top 20? 10 and eight in 2021, four and 10 last year, now 15 and eight this year. What about against the top 10? Three and seven against the top ten in 2021, three and nine against the top ten in 2022, nine and five, excuse me, ten and five against the top ten. He does have ten wins because this doesn't include his win over Medvedev in Vienna. Ten and five. He has ten t- wins. It's him, it's Medvedev, it's Djokovic. Ten double digit wins. He's answered that question. He's now beaten Djokovic in three sets. By the way, he straight up beat him. Like Novak did not play poorly in that match, and it was so fascinating to watch Sinner not just close with the gusto that he has developed over these past three years, because moving forward, getting better at that skill set, knowing the weapons he possesses from the ground, the opportunity he uh, creates for himself to pinch things off easily at the net, he has just become an exceptional volleyer. But to see him play through the Novak backhand and say, you know what? Yeah, you're going to make a million balls on that backhand wing. 
not afraid of your backhand. I can match your physicality going backhand to backhand. You're going to leave something short before I do, and I'm not afraid of you punishing me with the backhand down the line. If you beat me once or twice, so be it, but I am now fast enough to track it back down that ball, do enough with my forehand to keep myself in the point. Play through that backhand wing. It's something we've seen Medvedev try to do. It's something we've seen Zverev do when, again, they are both at their most successful against Djokovic. It's something Sinner is starting to develop as well. And it was a fascinating wrinkle. Obviously, he served so successfully, broken just once, won 79% of his first serve points, aggressively moved forward, ripped a couple of passes in the third set breaker, albeit the second pass he ripped to consolidate his mini break lead. That was a bad approach shot from Novak, no doubt, to go down three love. But the boldness with which he played, the confidence with which he played, again, his last seven, uh, six top 10 matches Wins over Alcaraz, Medvedev, Rublev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Djokovic. He wins his first 1,000-level title this year. Follows it up with a 500 in Beijing. Follows it up with a 500 in Vienna. Now 2-0 with a win over Djokovic at the Tour Finals. He's never won this event before. He wins it. It would be the biggest title of his career. And now he just has all of the momentum in the world going into Australia. Proof that he can beat the best. Got his first win over Medvedev. Followed it up with another win over Medvedev. Now he gets his first win over Djokovic. What if he gets another one to win this tour finals? He's the guy who could take the biggest stature. He wins this event. It is unequivocally a top four, maybe a top five if Zverev somehow makes the final here, but and like beats a Djokovic in the semis because he's second in the group. And you know, again, it's a Zverev center final. Now maybe those are the five best guys pretty clearly heading into the final, but. Again, Sinner makes the final. At this point, it's just clear. It's a top four, and maybe there's room for Zvira, but it's a top four. Sinner has proven it down the season's home stretch. I don't care. You can say it's not at a major. You beat Medvedev twice, Alcaraz, and Djokovic on hard courts all in a six-week stretch. You have our attention. I think this event matters most to him. And again, he's 2-0. He's got Holger Rune ahead of him. Holger beat him in Monte Carlo earlier this season. You look at the career head-to-head between the two. Holger Rune uh, 2-0 against Sinner. That win in Monte Carlo as well as a win in Sofia at the end of last year in three sets. He wins that one. Now it's another win over a peer. This event matters most to Yannick Sinner. And thus far, he has answered the question. And obviously, the 22-year-old Italian, he's the guy to watch. We'll continue to watch him, particularly as he takes on Runa. But three sets today over Djokovic. Again, Djokovic didn't play poorly. Sinner played that well. It was really, really fun tennis. The physicality, again, the creativity of Sinner, the way he found angles, drop shot pass combinations, the aggression to take the ball down the line, follow it forward, hit his backhand down the line so well. It was, again, one of the bigger wins, maybe the biggest, of Yannick Sinner's career, the first over Novak Djokovic. And this event, simply put, matters most for the Italian. Second most is the guy I've alluded to. It's Alex Zverev, and I'm aware Sasha Zverev has won this event twice. And, you know, again, to some extent this season, already an unequivocal success. He's back in the top 10. Seeding is going to be so much better for him at the start of the year. And by the way, lost second round Australia last year. May Lost round of 16 Rotterdam, first round Doha, round of 16 Indian Wells, first match Miami, round of 16 Monte Carlo. Round of 16 Madrid. Round of 16 Rome. By seed, he should do better at 
all of those events next year. And when, or I say when, because I do think it's a when, not if he does, he'll be back at five in the rankings, pushing higher towards that, depending on how Australia goes, because the rest of the year, back half of this season went so well for Sasha Zverev. He's 54 and 26 overall in the year. You win two-thirds of your matches, you're going to continue to progress up the rankings to get the three-set win over Carlos Alcarez. Sasha Zverev needed that because even though he's done a lot of winning of late, 3-13 and is Zverev against top 10 opponents this year. Suffered a bunch of losses to guys he had beaten in the past. In particular, Andre Rublev had his number this year in a way he never had earlier in his career to get the win over Alcaraz, to have gotten the win over Sinner at the U.S. Open. Again, if he can get through to the semifinals and, you know, his group, it's it's Medvedev, it's Rublev. So he's going to have looks at two guys who he has uh, struggled against this year against Daniil Medvedev. He is currently 1-4 on the season against Andre Rublev. He's 0-3. Again, two guys who have had his number here in 2023. He's going to get looks at both of them coming off of a win over Carlos Alcaraz. So even in the very immediate why does this event matter, Zverev's going to face the guy he struggles against. And that matters because, again, to get the full confidence back to be like, you know, I am the best of my peer group. I got to be right up there with Medvedev, with Sinner, with Alcaraz, with Djokovic. You get those wins. Again, statistically, it's going to be pretty hard to deny that Sasha Zverev belongs back in that group. He's one of seven guys to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. Again, it's an indoor hardcore event. He's won twice in his career. And should he win it? Let's say he does get that victory over Rublev. Now he's back on track there. He does get that victory over Medvedev. Now, I mean, again, if he wins this event, I think you have to pretty firmly say it's top five, given the field he would have beaten to have done so. And speaks to the openness. Who is the fifth best player in the world right now? It's right there for grabs. Again, Zverev is off to the strongest start, having gotten the win over Alcaraz that his game, his serve, his backhand did inject a little bit of fear and forced Alcaraz to adjust what he wanted to do. How many guys does Carlos Alcaraz adjust for? Very, very few. I think unequivocally Zverev is one of them. And, you know, again, now he's gotten a couple of victories over Alcaraz, beating him at the French a couple of years ago. And, I'm fascinated by that Rublev matchup because, again, Zverev had dominated it early in their career, 5-0 and coming into the season, 0-3 now in 2023. They have to go head-to-head at this event. He's going to face Medvedev as well, the guy he's played more than anyone else in his career. Zverev 7-10 and in their 17 career matchups. That one matters. That is, again, the rivalry that's gotten lost because we've never seen them play in a slam final. Hopefully someday we will just for the sake of the rivalry. This event matters to Sasha Zverev. I think more uh, he wins it. It's significant to him. His st- uh, place in the ecosystem it changes your perceptions for him. You know, fully back heading into Australia. Some may already be there, but I think it would be impossible for anyone to deny that should he win that ti- this title. So I would put him second on the list. Third on the list is going to be a bit surprising because some of you may remember over the years I've made the joke his destiny is to go one and two at this event for his career. It's the fourth straight year he's made it. I think this event really matters for Andre Rublev because he doesn't want to go one and two. And after losing four and two to Daniil Medvedev, a match where you know he was unable to break Medvedev's serve on seven different break point chances for Medvedev to just so methodically Medvedev his way to victory in that match. This is for Rublev coming off of a Shanghai Masters final appearance where... 
yes, he got to that final, but he loses to Hercats in that final, and he didn't place face a Medvedev or an Alcaraz or a Sinner. No, he beat a Dimitrov, Umber, Paul to get there. Yes, Vienna, Paris semifinals, but again, only signature win during that run was another victory over Zverev, who he has beaten three times this year. And again, it's been a really good year for Andre Rublev, 56-23 and 23 overall in the year, career high for him in terms of total tour-level victories. He did make quarterfinals this year in Australia uh, at Wimbledon at the U.S. Open, his only tough loss, that third-round loss to Sinego at the French you look for him in terms of top 10 victories overall on the season. Again, Andre Rublev relative to the rest of the field, 5-6 and six overall. It's top 10, most top 10 wins on the year now. It's only five for him this season. And you look at where those five top 10 victories have actually come. Rublev getting top 10 wins uh, in Vienna over Zverev. Bostad over Rude. Monte Carlo over Fritz and Runa. Australia over Runa. It's not a signature victory. Yeah, I guess the win over Zverev, but he's just had his number this year as Zverev's worked his way back, but hasn't beaten a Medvedev, hasn't beaten a Djokovic, hasn't beaten a Sinner or an Alcaraz, those tier one guys. And this is his chance to get one of those signature victories. Again, a Rublev who we know is going to beat who he should beat. He's going to be in that round of 16. He's going to be in that quarterfinal hunt. But that has felt like his ceiling. It's a really good ceiling. He's made the Tour Finals four straight years, and he's only 26 years old. It's a really good place for Andre Rublev to be. It's a place every player aspires to be. Is this his ceiling? Again, it's another opportunity, a bite at the apple, for him to answer that question in a positive manner. I do think this event matters for him because if he goes 0-3 despite 2023 being a step forward, how does it not feel like a half step back to end the year again? just falling short to the guys you need to beat most to take that next step. So I do think this event matters to him. I'd put him third on the list. Fourth and fifth, you know, again, the margins between the two are pretty slim. I'm going to go Holger Runa fourth. Runa gets an A for the season. He's already done everything he wanted to do to start this year. Finals Monte Carlo, finals in Rome, quarterfinals Roland Garros, round of 16 Australian Open. Reached a career high of number four. Reaches the Tour Finals for the first time in his career. Ends the season inside the top ten at number eight. Quarterfinals Wimbledon as well. Yes, I know he lost first round U.S. Open, but I'm willing to overlook one bad loss on a 20-year-old's resume who dealt with some injuries down the home stretch. Yes, I know there was an eight and nine loss stretch where he lost matches, but semifinals Basel, quarterfinals three sets Paris, plays a uh, a really fun three-set match a week and a half later against Djokovic as well to kick off his play in Turin. The aggression with which he attacked Novak, there was just a boldness about it. Again, how well every part of his game, but his backhand in particular, holds up when he wants to be patient and just play with that backhand wing. His backhand is better than 95% of opponents. I know it was a uh, struggle for him to end the year, but he ended the year top 10, and he's 20 years old, and he is just in every conversation now projecting the future of the ATP Tours, and when you've done that for yourself at his age, how is that anything other than an A season? You know, again, him, Carlos Alcaraz could both be playing the next-gen finals this season. They're not. They're in turn. They're playing with the big boys, and I know he got the withdrawal from Tsitsipas, so technically he gets a win in the $400,000 that come with it no matter what. The match against Sinner, though, again, he's 2-0 against Sinner. 
it's a real bite at the apple to quell the momentum of a guy who's kind of stolen the non-Alcaraz young guy thunder of late. It's a real opportunity for Runa. He gets that win. It probably does put him into, you know, it puts him and... Well, because Djokovic would be 2-1 and one as well. It would be, it's interesting. The tiebreakers are up in the air is the point. He has a way to play his way into the semifinals. And if he does that, who cares about Wimbledon, you know, the the rough stretch in the calendar. He ended the year strong, healthy, all arrows pointing in the right direction towards the 2024 Australian Open. Again, he's a guy all arrows point up for. That said, again, if he loses this match to Yannick Sinner, it says more about Sinner, in my opinion, than it does about anything poor for Holger Runa. He already has an A, or in the A scale for the season. If you want to dig him to A- minus because of the rough stretch, fine, that's your prerogative. But it's not going to change my perception for Runa. Only positive, which is why this does matter for him, first time here, but lowest on the, uh, you know, right near the lowest on the list, right above Daniil Medvedev, who, again, uh, U.S. Open finalist, Vienna finalist, Beijing finalist. He's won this event before. It'll be the first time he's won an event twice. If he does win it this year, gets a win over Rublev to kick off the tournament. Obviously, he's got Sasha Zverev uh, as well as uh, who's he going to play? He's got Sasha Zverev and Carlos Alcaraz left. Always fun to watch him. And Alcaraz played, obviously, Medvedev playing in a perfect match against Alcaraz uh, in New York. Does he need to win this? No. He's one, you know, again... He's one of the four best players in the world, and you probably can't put him at four despite the successive losses to Sinner. If it's a hard-court event, he's going to be competing in the latest stages of the event. He is one of the front runners to win the Australian Open, regardless of what happens at this event. He wins it, though. It's just a nice reminder that, hey, I can beat a Djokovic. I can beat a Sinner. I can beat all these guys consecutively. Don't forget about that fact. I may have been losing in finals of late, but I usually beat one of these, one or two of these guys along the way. I just, again, it'd be nice to see Medvedev win an event successively, but it doesn't change my perception no matter what happens because, A, he's already beaten Rublev. He loses to Zverev Alcaraz these next two matches. Again, tells me more about Zverev than anything else. That said, that's breaking down the ATP Tour Finals field. I'm not going to lie. I really like that podcast. I hope you listeners did as well. If you did, let us know at Crack Rackets, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You can also message me directly at A.L. Gruskin. A thank you as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out to him. Shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for the fantastic Daniel Westoff, off our super producer for our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll see you all twice tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.